today. Listen for the times that you need to shift. Don't just shift when you have to. Sometimes we must learn to shift before the tragedy happens. Hebrews chapter 10, starting verse 25, it says this. And let us not neglect, everyone say neglect, our meeting together as some people do. But encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. The writer of Hebrews is telling us this, is that some have begun to neglect the gathering together in the house of God. And not only just neglected it, they've made it a habit of not coming to the house of God. And what he says is that it's up to us to encourage people, encourage one another, especially now. Why? Especially now because the day of the Lord of his return is coming soon. Pray with me. Father, help in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated this morning. I want you to understand that when we talk about a shift that for me to tell you where to get to in life, first, before I give you directions to go somewhere, what's the first thing I need to know? Where you're at. If you want to know how to get to where I'm at, I got to first know where you're at. And whenever you go look at a map at at an amusement park, a mall or something like that, you'll usually see this somewhere on there. And when you see this, this lets me know I am here. It lets me know that this is my starting point. And I hate looking at maps that don't have that on it. Because then you got to figure out where you're at. And if I don't know where I'm starting from, it's going to be hard to get to where I'm going. And it's in life, and when we're talking about an amusement park, I can look for certain landmarks to determine where I'm at so I can look at the map, even if that's not there, to identify where I'm at at this moment. However, in life, we don't have this big arrow that follows us around and lets us know you are here in your marriage. You are here in your mentality. You are here in your emotions, you're here in your education, you're here in your walk with God. We don't have this big old arrow pointing over us to give us an identification of where we're at. I wish we did, it would make life so much easier. Is to have this big arrow that tells me you are here, like Google Maps. I love the fact that when you, and when you pull it up, it gives me this thing that lets me know my starting point. And when I don't know the starting point of where I'm at, it's going to be hard to give you directions to get you to where you need to go. So I need you to understand something this morning. I want you to recognize that where you are at will affect the directions that I give you. Where you are at right now, and for some of you, what I'm about to share, it, it, it's going to be, it's not going to make sense to some of you because you're not at that point. For others of you, it's going to make perfect sense. But I, I want to share a message this morning for the family of CWC. If you're a visitor this morning, we love you. Come on, give our visitors a round of applause this morning. But this shift is for the family of CWC. This shift here, I want you to understand that we talked about shifts, and the first shift I talked to you about was leadership. 
It was from the leaders doing the work to the leaders equipping people to do the work. I talked to you also about a priority shift, a shifting from events to relationships. Remember that. We talked about that most people, when they come to know the Lord, have come to know the Lord from a family member or a friend that invited them, that we have to get away from events. Now, I love Puppet Master. I love the haunted house. But we are not going to transform the world through events. We will transform the world through relationships. Say it again, Pastor Dan. Uh, you got to understand that when people see a change in us, we can bring a change in them. People aren't going to desire what you have until they see you have it. Talked about a ministry shift that we are going through from going, but being consumers to contributors. That we need to become people that don't just come and sit down and say, okay, Pastor Dan, what do you have for me today? Feed me. Come on, feed me. Just do something for me. I had to walk all the way from that parking lot way over here. You better have something good today. Because if you don't, I'm going to sleep right here, or I'm just going to get on Facebook or on social media. Because we are in the mode of give me rather than what I can give. And that shift needs to take place. We have to move from being consumers into contributors. Because that's what a family's all about. But today I want to talk to you about a generational shift. I grew up and was raised in a church where the adults were valued and the children were neglected. We sent the kids off to a room to have a meeting where they babysat us while the adults had their services. And it didn't matter whether the kids understood or whether the kids were being ministered to or not. It was about the adults. It was about the older generation. Why? Because the older generation are the ones that give. And so we neglected another generation, and most of the people in my generation aren't even serving God today. Why? Yet they were born and raised in church because we spoke a language they didn't understand, they didn't connect with us, they were more concerned about the adults than the generation that was rising up. We didn't invest money into the children, didn't invest money into the youth, so as a result, when the church got old, the church died. I'm here to tell you that CWC will have a value for every generation. We will invest into our children. We will invest into your youth. We will invest into the married couples, into the high school, into the senior citizens. We will take time to recognize that every generation is valuable. Every generation has something to give. Every generation has a part to play. And if we miss out on the senior citizens, then we miss out on the babies. If because they have things that they have done, they've lived, they have victories, they've accomplished that we need to glean from. And I apologize because I haven't been very good when it came to our senior citizens. But we are going to get better. We are going to get better in the area of our senior citizens. Hear that, Pop? I'm just playing. We have uh, Brother Ray who's working right now on getting a ministry together for our senior citizens. And I'm so proud that God has gave him, given him a burden for our senior citizens. But our children are valuable. I need you to understand the children are not the church of tomorrow. They're the church of right now. 
Our kids are valued. We need to pour into our children. We need to prepare our children. We must value generations. And that's what I call the mentorship. Did everyone say mentorship? Now, I want you to notice something. I want you to capture this. We have valued teaching and information over fathering. We live in an information age. And we love information. We Google it. We search it. We research it. And we have all the information that we need. And yet we have said, we, we've gone to churches that have instructed us. We've gone to places that have given us information. But we have no relationship. We know all there is to know about God. But we have no relationship with God. It's because we have valued teaching and information over fathering. That's why Satan has worked so hard to remove the father from the home. Because if I can take dad out of the home, if I can remove the value of dad from the home, I can steal the identity of the family. That's what's happened in America today. Information is powerful, but I love what Chris Valentin said. He said, information is powerful, but identity doesn't come from information. It comes from impartation. What am I talking about? You know, many of us go to churches, but we've never had it imparted to us who we are. We've listened to messages that have challenged our intellect and stirred our emotions, but it never brought our will to a point of decision. We love listening to all these teachers that are out there. We got podcasts, we read books, and we get a crumb from this person, a crumb from that person. We get a little piece of bread from this person, a little piece of bread from that person. Then you come to church and say, well, why doesn't my pastor preach like that person? How come they don't minister like that individual? It's because you've taken a crumb here and a crumb there. You end up with a crummy life. Because all you're taking is a piece. You're just taking a portion. And you have not yet put yourself under the covering of a father. You haven't placed yourself under the covering. Not of a pastor. Of a father. You haven't come under the covering of a father that will give you an identity. That will impart to you who you are. And recognize, young lady, you don't deserve a man that beats you. You don't deserve, young lady, someone that's going to speak down to you. You need someone that's going to cover you and give you an identity. And you find that through the word of God. I'm here to tell you something that we are not, President Obama said it himself, we are no longer just a Christian nation. So many other religions, so many other values that have stepped in and morality is no longer biblical anymore. Morality has become individual. Well, what do you think about it? And we've placed our opinions over the word of God. And yet no one's doing anything about it because we don't have a father to guide us. As pastors, we're afraid to preach something that's going to offend somebody because then they may leave. I believe America is dying for the truth. America's dying for someone that's going to give truth, even if it hurts. When my dad disciplined me, I hated it. I was mad at him. I'd go to my room and I'd be ticked at him. But as I've gotten older, I realized that every punishment was for a purpose. The scripture we opened up with in Hebrews 10, 25, it says, Do not neglect our meeting together as some do. Another version says, as some make it a habit of doing. 
I want you to look at the word neglect. It means to desert, to abandon, to leave, or to forsake. You know what's a trip is that, listen, don't get me wrong here, okay? When I say abandon or, or neglect, I'm not talking about it's vacation, so I'm going to take a Sunday off. I'm not talking about, you know, okay, my kids play football and, you know, Pastor Dan, it's, they're, they're, listen, the kids are only young once. You're going to hear it from me. The kids are only young once. And if they're playing ball, I wish my dad would have taken time out of church to be with me at a game. And I'm here to be a father. Be a mom. Be, it's, it's okay. Listen to me. Listen to me. But I'm saying this. The problem is, is that when the games are over, you still don't come to church. You've made it a habit to neglect the body. Football season comes around and you're not in church anymore. Why? Because my team is at home and I got season tickets. Well, they, I can't come when they're away because I want to watch the game. You've made it a habit. And no longer is it a, a priority. You've turned this thing into neglecting. And that's what he's talking about. Don't forsake. Don't leave behind. And many of us have neglected the house of God. You know, when I was growing up, we never asked my dad, Dad, are we going to church today? In fact, I, in, in my lifetime, my dad never came to my room, even when I was in high school. Open up my door, and there was never a lock on my door either. I was lucky I had a door. And my dad, he never came to my door, knocked on and said, hey, you going to church today? It wasn't a question. It was Sunday. What do we do on Sundays? We're going to church. There was no question. It wasn't a matter of, you know, are we going to, we're going to go to the park today. We're going to go do anything we did. Birthday parties, park, celebration happened after church. It's called the Lord's Day because on Sunday it's believed that Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday. So the Sabbath went from celebrating the Sabbath on Saturday to celebrating the Lord's Day on Sunday. If Jesus could get up from the dead on a Sunday, you can get up out of bed. But Pastor Dan, you know, going to church doesn't make you a Christian. You said it. You're right. You're right. It's like going to McDonald's doesn't make you a hamburger. You're right. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian. The problem is not going to church doesn't make you one either. You have more opportunity to become Christ-like by coming. Now, I'm not against Christian television or all that other stuff. But I want you to under, look at verse 24. Why is it important that you come? Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, the scripture before that. He says this. Let us think of our ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. So follow me on. Why is Paul saying, or, or the writer of Hebrews saying, uh, because we don't know who it is. Some people think it was Paul. But why is he saying, don't neglect coming to church? Because the verse previous to that, he's saying this. Listen, in order to motivate you to love and to good works, you have to be at church so I can encourage you. you I have to see you so I can motivate you.
motivate you. I have to see you so I can prod you. I love this. What does the word motivate mean in the Greek? Check this out. See, I need you to grab a hold of something. That word motivate in the Greek means to provoke or to confront. Pastor, I'm not coming to your church too much. You yell too much. You're always mad, it seems like. You a little mad dude. Got the little man's concept going on right now. To provoke or to confront, it means a sharp contention, check this out, or argument to confront one's responsibility. You know that the teams that last year, one of, one of the best teams that, that and I, it pains me to say this, one of the best teams to field on the, in, in the NFL last year was the Patriots. And they're, they're you know, we're not even going to go, go there, but I want you to understand something. Their, their theme was do your job. Do your job. That's all they said. Just, just do your job. Every individual had a motivating word in front of them. It confronted them. And they all understood this, that if you didn't do your job, someone was going to confront you. Someone was going to call you to your, your responsibility. And it's time once again that the church of God, if we're going to make an effect in this area, in this community, in this world, it's time that we stand up and that we take responsibility to do our job. It's become a habit for some people not to come to church. You used to be faithful. You remember that when you were young. You used to come all the time. You, coming to church was, it wasn't even a question. You were so committed to God, so committed to the church you were a part of, that you, got a, you went all the time. You were involved. You didn't just come to church. You got there early. Remember that? You were involved. You got there early. You helped set up. You, 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 you were involved in ministry. You even showed up during the week. When no one was at church to plan what you were going to do at church on Sunday. Now you're lucky if you make it once a month. What happened? What happened? Listen, our priorities have to shift. God has to become a priority in our lives again. Say it again, Pastor. God has to be a priority in my life. And don't tell me I can have God as a priority in my life and not come to church. He died for the church. It was the church that he chose to establish as the very function, the organization, the, 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 the group, the, the, the coming together to be his bride. Listen, when you talk about the church, you're talking about God's wife. Pastor, please say that again. Do you understand? You, you could do whatever you want to me, but you talk about my wife, it's on, honey. We're going to get down. You talk about my wife, it's, it's going to be on. All right? Because I'm a husband before I'm a pastor. When we put down the church, we are putting down the spouse of God. Because the church is Jesus' bride. It's who he's coming back for. 
So instead of capping and putting down the church, which you are a part of, why not be the solution to the issue in the church? Well, I left churches because of this. I left church because of that. And you know what? They're hypocrites. Hey, there's room for one more. I got to go on because it's going to get personal here. The problem is, is that we are operating what's called an orphan spirit. In the church today, we, got, we, we, we celebrate crowds, but we don't celebrate sons. We judge the greatness of a ministry based on how many people it seats, not how many sons it sends. And it's not based on how many people come, it's how many sons are raised up in the house, sons and daughters. And I need you to understand that the orphan spirit says this. It says, don't tell me how to live. The prodigal son was telling his dad, dad, don't tell me how to live. Don't tell me what to do and don't tell me where to go. Just give me my money. Give me, give me my inheritance. You see, too many prodigals are making decisions without their father's input or his wisdom. How do I know this? Because many of you make appointments with me to inform me on what you're doing. Not for advice, not for biblical advice, not my opinion, biblical advice. You come in, I'm, I'm leaving my wife, I'm leaving my husband, I'm marrying this guy, I'm marrying this girl. You don't know how many people have come in to ask permission to, for divorces, and I've told them this, listen, you didn't ask me to get married, don't ask me for permission to get divorced. If you would have sought my counsel before, you wouldn't be in this mess to begin with. That's what fathers do. See, some of us have the orphan spirit. We don't want anyone telling us what to do. It's a rebellious spirit. It's a spirit. Some of you are sitting right now and you're struggling with this word. I see you. You look like I just stole some money out of your wallet right now. Getting angry, getting mad, your jaws clenching up. Chill, man. There's other places for you. L -l Listen. The orphan spirit determines this. Is that we want freedom without protection or inheritance. Let me do my own thing. Let me live the way I want to live. We want to live the way we want to live, and then when we get into certain situations, you don't want anyone speaking into your life saying, son, you're going the wrong direction. You know what? That, that, that guy might not be good for you. You know what? Be careful because you're getting into an area that, you know, I haven't seen you in church for a while, but pastor, the X, Y, Z, you, you don't want anyone telling you what to do. And I understand that because none of us, none of us like to be told what to do. Come on. Let's be straight. Your boss can come. You know you got to put those, you got to clean that stuff up. And when your boss, you're getting ready, you got the broom and the dustpan in hand, you're about to go pick it up. And then the boss just comes walking by and says, hey, pick that up. All of a sudden, I ain't going to pick that up. Shoot. <laughs> Want me to do what? 
I ain't going to pick up anything, man. You start kicking it around and everything. Why? Because there's something in us that we, we were created to dominate. We were created with dominion in us, and we hate to be told what to do, even if it's the right thing. Some of y'all are like, man, well, I, I should have taken this Sunday off. <laughs> I normally don't come to church, and I came today. How, how, how important is this? Notice this. How important is it that the, the father and the son, the father-child experience? It's so important that the very last word God speaks to the children of Israel in Malachi chapter 4 is that he's going to return the hearts of the sons to the fathers and the hearts of the fathers to the sons. Very last words God speaks in the Old Testament is right there. And after he does that, God goes silent for 400 years. God says, until you get this thing handled where the sons and the fathers come together, until the generations connect, until one generation has value for another generation, until there's respect, you're not going to get the anointing of Elijah until the Elijahs learn how to serve and until an Elijah knows how to bring an Elisha under his covering. I'm not going to allow, I'm not going to speak anything. God, what are you saying? Look at what I said last time. And he goes silent for 400 years. Then Paul comes about. Vivi, if you can help me out. I want to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Still with me this morning? About to close, but I I need to cover this part. Notice the Apostle Paul is writing here, and he's speaking to those that he considers his spiritual sons. Okay? Now, as there's some of you, as I speak, you, you might not be spiritual sons of this house. That's okay, okay? That's totally okay. But as I speak, I want you to understand the contents by which Paul is speaking here. And I'm reading out of the New Living Translation, okay? I'm not going to hell because I'm doing so. It's not the King James, but I'm reading out of here because it's a little easier for some people to understand. Look what he says. He says, I'm not writing all of this as a neighborhood scold just to make you feel rotten. He's not trying to tear you down. Paul's telling the people, listen, I'm not trying to to, to destroy you. And whenever you get a harsh word, whenever you get a word of instruction, the very first thing we feel as adults is, man, why are they scolding me? Why, Why do they have to be so mean to me? He says, I'm not doing this to make you feel rotten. As as the pastor of this church, the father of this house, I'm not saying this to make you feel rotten. If you walk out of here feeling rotten, then I totally missed the mark tonight. That's not why I'm sharing what I'm sharing. What I'm trying to do is stir you up and recognize you're better than what you're going through right now. He says this, I'm writing you as a father to you, my children. I love you and I want you to grow up well and not spoiled. I want you to grow up well. I don't want CWC to be filled with a bunch of spoiled little brats. I want you to grow up well. I want you to mature in your walk with God. I want you to be able, when things don't work out in your life, that you have the ability to get back up again and keep moving forward, to understand that no matter what I go through, that God still loves me, that I don't need to be babied. I don't need to be coddled. I don't need to be burped. I don't need you to change my diapers, Pastor. I'm an adult now, and I've grown up enough to move forward even when things get bad. 
I don't want to, I want to, I don't want to do you a disservice is what he's saying. And I look at some of y'all, some of y'all look scary. And don't, don't get me wrong. I mean, in your old life, y'all were scary. I wouldn't want to run into Mark in, in, in a dark alley. I'm telling you. Then I look back and then I see his hands up and tears coming down his face while he's worshiping. See, my brother here, every Sunday morning, I don't know if he's going to come to hug me or, or shank me. <laughs> you know I love you, man. <laughs> right? <laughs> no, really, bro. No, we good? Security, can I just get someone to... Stand up here next to me. But it amazes me how bad people can be in the world, get saved, and all of a sudden fall apart. God never wanted to take away your intensity. He just wanted to redirect it for something for his glory. He says, I don't want you to be spoiled. There are a lot of people around who can't wait to tell you what you've done wrong. We are not sitting here as pastors waiting for you to mess up so we can pounce on you. He says, but there, are, there aren't many fathers willing to take the time and effort to help you grow up. You realize I never made a decision in my life without asking my dad for direction on major decisions. Whether it was buying a house, getting married, going to school, I always stopped to ask my dad for advice, whether my earthly father or my heavenly father. And it's time that we start getting some advice, start getting some wisdom. Look what, look what he goes on. It says this. It was as Jesus helped me to proclaim God's message to you that I became your father. This is Paul talking. I'm not, you know, asking you to do anything. I'm not already doing myself. That's in verse 16. So a father's job very quickly is simply this. It's not to spoil you. You're not being a great father if all you're doing is spoiling your kids. A good dad knows how to say no every so often, right? We, we know how to say, don't touch that, that's hot. We're not going to give them everything they want. That kid that's throwing a tantrum in Toys R Us because he wants the toy. And mom says, yeah, they're buying him everything. My kids threw a tantrum in Toys R Us once. One time. And they never did it again. They see other kids throwing tantrums, crying, and kicking their mom or dad because they want something. My kid did that one time. Never happened again. Because dad knew how to help them not grow up spoiled. Father's job is to love you. And don't get it twisted. Love is discipline. Love is the ability to say no. Love is the ability to help you. Sometimes the most loving thing a father can do is to correct his child. I express my love for my kids by the correction I give to them. But as I close this morning, I, I, want, I want to just challenge each and every one of your hearts here that discipline isn't always good. Look at what, what, what the, who is it that's in the book of Hebrews? He says, for the Lord, the Lord disciplines those he loves. You know that discipline is a form of love. The Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes. Wow, punish? Yeah. God punishes 
Each one he accepts as his child. And as you endure that divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own child. That, that word disciplines means to train, correct, or to chastise. It means a, an upbringing, the developing of character. It's like a boxer and a trainer that, that God literally, when he disciplines him, he wants him to learn how to act a certain way. When they take you the basic training in the military, what they're trying to do is develop a habit in you that when the gunshots start firing, instead of running away, you respond to where you're ready to fight. What this church must do is learn the discipline of God, the training of God, that when the battle starts, we don't run. We run to the battle. We don't run away from it. Come on, somebody give God praise. Raising up an army, raising up a family that knows how to fight for their family, knows how to fight for their marriage, knows how to fight for their mind, knows how to fight for their sobriety, knows how to fight for their freedom. People that know how to how discipline themselves to fight. I love this word punishment. Literally means to scourge. It, it means consequences. You made a choice now as a result. You got consequences to your actions. Who ever heard of a child who isn't disciplined by its father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all his children, it means that you're illegitimate. And not really his child at all. Look at these other scriptures about discipline. Look at all these. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. I remember my dad getting ready to hit me and he told me this is going to hurt you more than it's going to hurt me. It's like, you know what, dude, let's just get on with this. It's not making any sense. And I didn't get it while I was a kid, but I get it now. There are lessons that, you, that aren't taught, they're caught. And some lessons in life you're not going to learn by someone telling you you have to go through it. To learn, you must love discipline. It's stupid to hate correction. Only a fool despises his parents' discipline. Whoever learns correction is wise. Paul is simply saying this. You have many teachers, but not many fathers. And like my kids, they're saying, you know what? The sheep are saying, uh, don't love me and don't feed me so much. Because I'd rather go to a place where I'm able just to run in the corral, running in and out of the, the flock as I want. The problem is, is that when you allow sheep to run in and out of the flock with no responsibility, it ends up affecting other sheep that see you going and coming and going and coming. And before you know it, that newly born calf that comes into the fold all of a sudden sees that sheep running off. And they're not strong enough and they run off as well and end up getting devoured by the enemy. You want me to feed you, but not correct you. Sorry. You go to home, hometown buffet to get fed. There's a responsibility we have in this house to feed you, but to correct as well. Jesus said this as I close. He said simply this. He goes, my sheep hear my voice. My sheep hear my voice. I know my flock based on those that respond to my voice. Do you realize I don't choose my flock? You do. 
When you choose to respond to the voice of your pastor, you become part of this flock. But when you don't respond to my voice, then I'm not your shepherd. It's hard truth. But the reality is, if you can't respond to my voice, you need to find another flock. Because you need a shepherd to guide you. Hear me this morning. I'm not saying this with arrogance. I'm trying to get you to understand if you can't respond to the words from this pastor, then find a man of God, a woman of God that's going to be able to lead you and guide you into a closer walk with God that you'll take correction from, that you'll take direction from, that you'll be able to get closer to God as a result of their teachings, of their beckoning, of their leading. If you can't follow me, follow another man of God. But you are not called to do this on your own. It's what the body of Christ is all about. We're going to shift this thing. And we're committed as a pastoral staff, as a family, to help lead and guide you. That when we see you getting off track, to just kind of reach out to you. We're not always the best at those things. We're not, the, we're not saying we're the greatest shepherds. Just being honest with you. But we do love you, every one of you, and your families, believe in you. And my commitment to you is that when you do, if you do leave here, that you will leave here better than when you got here. Stand to your feet with me this morning.